0: You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it, you shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the firstfruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of Yahweh your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve Yahweh your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you. And will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you, until you have increased and possess the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out from before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet, yours truly, coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, for episode 576 of this podcast. That was Exodus chapter 23 in the English Standard Version, which is my preferred translation, although I'm increasingly taking a liking to the NASB as well. That is what a great app for the iPhone. I think it's probably available for Android as well. Uh, That is what a great Bible app I have on my phone is in, is NASB, literal word. If you're looking for a good resource, totally free, you can download it onto your smartphone. I like to follow along during sermons on Sunday mornings. Tomorrow's going to be Sunday morning. I'll have my literal word Bible app open. And I like to be able to click the either Hebrew character or Koine Greek character in the upper right corner with that app open to the passage that we are considering and the sermon is being preached in relation to. And what it does is it underlines All of the words in the text that you can then click and it'll open up lexical, cross reference, information, definition, how many instances there are in the Bible of that word, that particular word in the original Hebrew or Greek, not to be confused with the English word that's translated. And that actually can be very interesting. Sometimes you find that when there are multiple definitions for a particular word, you can click through, and you can see, oh, it's translated this way in this passage, this way in this other passage. I wonder why they did that. It gives you something, a little more to go on, to figure out the semantic range of certain words and certain concepts. I highly recommend it. I would definitely check it out. If you're looking for a good audio Bible app, I've been using Dwell here lately, off and on, alternating back and forth between reading the text for myself, the old-fashioned way, and by the old-fashioned way, I mean with my Bible app or with my physical Bible. But if you're looking for a good audio Bible, Dwell is great. There is a little bit of a cost, but it's worth it. Dwell and Literal Word, I would recommend those two apps to you. But having just gone through Exodus 23 there, there's a few items I want to draw your attention to in particular, and let's meditate on this. And by meditate, I mean, let's get this bone... Completely clean of a couple of features that are relevant to our life today in the year of our Lord 2023 <laughs> in the United States of America. Starting in verse one, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not spread a false report. Don't join hands with the wicked man to be a malicious witness. Don't fall in with the many to do evil. So there you have, I think, a check and a balance against democracy. It's not okay to say, well, 51% believe such and such, so I suppose that's what it is. No, no. Sometimes the many are doing evil, and when they do, don't go with them. Don't go along with it. Don't be a witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so whatever the majority is saying, you're like, well, I guess that's what it has to be. No, no. You need to be independent and honest and maintain integrity. And even if you stand alone, that is better. God is pleased by that. In fact, God requires that of us. I don't believe that laws like this, commands like this in Exodus were done away with. I just don't. I can't believe if somebody would say, "Well, oh, let's not get into the law because we're under grace, I would say being under grace is not a cover for being lawless. So we're not supposed to be lawless. In fact, when Jesus talks about on the last days, many will say to him, Lord, Lord, he will say to many of them, depart from me. I never knew you. What he calls them is workers of lawlessness, So if they thought they were under grace, but they were actually being lawless, that's a bad place to be. And you best wise up now rather than having some kind of a false assurance that you're under grace. I'm not saying everybody should be questioning their salvation all the time, but you should study your heart and you should consider carefully whether you are actually in Christ or you're not. That's all I'm going to say about it for right now. Because what I really want to focus on is this idea of not spreading a false report, not bearing witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice. That right there, if we could grasp the importance of that again, I think it would have a huge impact on how our political system functions, how our news media operates. And how we, as common folk, if you're common folk like I am, I I know I have a podcast, but I'm, I'm just a regular guy, common folk like us perceive and engage in political discourse and in the news cycle. You know, if you're on social media, odds are high that at a certain point you have or you are or you will share a news story. Don't spread a false report. Don't spread a false report. Now, sometimes you might not know whether it's a false report or it's a true report. You might be saying, okay, this is a report and that's true. You could say, oh, this is something that's being reported. That's not the same thing as spreading a false report. Spreading a false report would be if you repeat a rumor, an unsubstantiated rumor and allegation uncritically as if it must be true because somebody said it. The first to state his case seems correct until the other comes and examines him, Proverbs says. The first to state his case seems correct. We have to be the second who comes and examines him, and we have to insist that there are others who are going to be allowed to come and examine the first to state his case. If we start getting the echo chamber at a local level with our circle of friends and family in our community, in our church, in our City, in our state, in our country, watch out because that echo chamber group think everybody just goes along with whatever seems to be the conventional wisdom and the popular consensus. Watch out because corrupt men will exploit that. And if they can work upstream of the narrative and control the narrative, they can railroad anybody who gets in their way, anybody they don't like. They can do it just for the fun of it even if it's not profitable, otherwise just because they enjoy watching people get hamstrung socially, institutionally, bureaucratically, legislatively, politically. So don't go along with that. Do not, do not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. Don't do it. There's a God in heaven who said to not to, and we need to take that seriously. Interestingly as well, we see, Lest anybody suppose this is only applying to those who are rich, the people who have a lot of money and they invest it in getting the results that they want, getting the rulings that they want. This passage also explicitly says not to go along with a poor man in his lawsuit. So what you don't do is you don't assume bad character on the part of somebody just because they have wealth. Don't assume that they have bad character just because they're in the minority. Don't assume that they have good character just because they're poor. Don't assume that a cause is a worthy cause just because it's popular or because a lot of poor people support it. Don't do it. Don't do that. You've got to be above that if you are going to pursue real justice. If you're not pursuing real justice on God's terms, you are perverting justice and he will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. It's not just no big deal and none of my business and none of your business. If that's happening, there's a God in heaven in whose image we are made who takes it personally and has every right to. And because he has said, Thou shalt and thou shalt not. Yes, under grace, but meditating on the law, we will be blessed if we bear these things in mind and if we act accordingly. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor either. So you don't assume that somebody who's poor has bad character. You don't assume that they have good character. You don't assume that they have bad character. Same also with the wealthy. You don't assume one way or the other. So what do you do? You look at the facts of the case. And if the facts of the case are being withheld from you and you're not being allowed to see them, that is a huge red flag. So as a father of eight, I'm going to use some dad analogies here. If I walk into the room and my son Enoch and my son John are playing and then all of a sudden they bolt upright and look back at me with wide eyes and their hands go behind their back, do I just smile at them, and walk back out of the room again? Or do I say, what are you guys doing? What's behind your back? I might not have seen it, right? I wasn't looking for it. But now, as a father, I have to own that. I don't walk out of the room. I say, hey, what's behind your back? What do you have there? And I guarantee you, because I know my children. I'm Something of an expert at this point in parenting With this many children over coming up on 16 years, my oldest son, Josiah, will be 16 this summer. I guarantee you that if they are trying to hide something, they'll say, nothing. What's behind your back? Nothing. And it won't be true because if there were nothing behind their back, they wouldn't have bolted upright, wide-eyed, and rushed to put their hands behind their back. Without fail, when I hear nothing, when I ask what's behind your back there is something behind their back and odds are high that it's something they're not supposed to be playing with or they're not supposed to have it's something that they're eating that they weren't supposed to be eating their mom had bought that so she could make maybe i don't know cookies later today because we've got guests coming over or there's an event coming up that she was going to bake something for other than cookies you know it could be that it could be some tool or some valuable that they grabbed off the shelf. And all of a sudden I need to find out what that is. Well, it's just the same. I mean, scale it up. People are people. When people are little people, they're people. When they get older, they're just older little people. Sometimes if you come into a situation with some big meta narrative and you find that the evidence is being withheld. And when you ask, Hey, what's behind your back? You're greeted with nothing. Never mind. That's none of your business. Carry on. Why would you ask that? You always do this, right? Wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. Wait. We're getting off on the wrong foot. You know, that's that's what you should be thinking to yourself. Not how dare you to want to know what's actually really going on here, insofar as it intersects with your business. You should be thinking to yourself, hey, wait a second, why would you think that? I don't need to be asking this question. Say, for instance, how our government operates, how it functions, how a certain political party in particular operates and functions and does business and communicates what they aspire to, how they achieve the goals that they have in mind. If evidence in relation to that is being withheld, well, then is it our business or isn't it our business as a voting populace, as citizens of the United States of America. Is it our business or isn't it our business if we're going to know whether to vote for them or against them, whether to campaign for them or against them? Isn't it our business if we want to be faithful to not spreading a false report, not joining hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness, not falling in with the many to do evil? Yes, yes, indeed. And we've got to think that way. Now, a little lower on down here, and i won't spend a lot of time on this section but it is it is interesting laws about the sabbaths and festivals not just on a weekly basis do we have this idea of rest and a cycle of rest baked into the rhythm of life that god is establishing the order that he is giving to their community life their national life their life as a people as individuals who make up a people, not just on a weekly basis. Six days you will work, on the seventh you'll rest. Also, for six years you will sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest. So even the land is supposed to be allowed to rest and lie fallow. For what purpose? Because the land is self-important, is an end unto itself? No, because the poor of your people need to eat. And if they get their fill on that seventh year when you're letting the fields lie fallow, letting them rest, this is also known as crop rotation. By the way, I say that as the son and grandson, the descendant of generations of farmers on my dad's side. This is crop rotation, very wise. It's funny how that, that has become in recent decades <laughs> more of a feature of our own agricultural uh, approach here in the United States. It, it's not new, right? God actually told Israel to do that. And so there you go, right? There, there you go. If you would have just taken his word for it, you probably would have been doing it sooner and at a higher level. But the poor of your people, that's the reason why you're letting the land rest You're letting your fields lie fallow so that the poor of your people may eat. If they get their fill, well, then the beasts of the field can also get their fill. Do that with your fields, your vineyards, your olive orchards, all of the above. Don't deplete them to the point that they can't bounce back. That's not wise. That's not responsible. That's not good stewardship. But we have a picture here of a very holistic approach that God is prescribing and requiring for his people. A very holistic approach to resources management and to responsible engagement with the poor in your midst. Really, really important that we would glean from this a principle as it pertains to conservation. That's really important and valuable. It's not just that we're conserving values and morals and things like that, that baby boomers in particular disproportionately in relation to the generations that preceded and the generations that followed them, they're they're just wild about values and vision and morals. But it's not just that we would conserve those things as conservatives. We also should be conserving our natural resources, our land, our forests, our waterways But here's the kicker. That's not what the radical environmentalists and the climate change hysterics are doing. That's not what they're actually going to achieve. That's what they say they're trying to achieve. But in contrast to this passage here, it is a power grab. Instead of looking after the poor, what the radical environmentalists are doing is they are trying to get more wealth and power for themselves. And in the process, they're making a lot more poor people. They're not letting things rest and replenish. They're trying to take for themselves fields that don't belong to them. You know, it's one thing if you say to somebody who owns a field, hey, you know, there's this passage in Exodus 23, you should really consider in relation to your farming practices so that you don't have a dust bowl situation and you don't know, deplete your soil take all the nutrients out of it and not allow things to recover you should let it lie fallow once in 7 years you should do that you know that's one thing if you tell them that and they're not under law they're under grace but they would be wise and there would be a blessing for them to do it it's quite another thing when we see reports increasingly around the world of the radical environmentalist types just taking or acting as though they own the means of production. That's communism. That is not what God calls us to. That is not. That's a competing religion. That's a competing worldview. It needs to be responded to as such. And I would say resisted as such. Another interesting thing here is you have in verse 13, pay attention to all that I've said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. And what is this talking about? Because I think to myself, well, there's mention of the specific names of certain gods, Baal, for instance, Moloch, for instance, in the Old Testament, Artemis of the Ephesians is mentioned in the New Testaments, in the book of Acts, for instance. So what do you do when you're reading the text? Do you not read those names that are written into the text? I don't think that's what this is getting at. I think what is being alluded to here is a reverential mention that you would be praying to or speaking in hushed tones about other gods besides Yahweh, our God. Don't fear them. Don't obey them. Don't make deals with them, because that's another thing. If we skip on down a bit, I want to draw your attention to this. For those who say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. I realize we are not Israel as the church, unless you're Jewish and also a Christian. We're not Israel. This is not (laughs) uh, to be taken too far, but there is a principle here that reflects on the character of God. Look at verse 24. You shall not bow down to their gods. This is referring to the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, who God says he's going to blot out. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. So this is not just, hey, let's see what we can figure out. Let's negotiate. No, no, no. We win, they lose. That's the mindset that the children of Israel are supposed to have. That is their attitude. That's the prescribed attitude. Verse 32, you shall make no covenant with them and their gods. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. So actually you're told, if you are an Israelite here in the hearing of what God has given to Moses to tell to your people, you are absolutely not going to be cutting deals with these peoples. They're going to be driven out, not in one year. Okay, this is going to be a long, drawn-out process, gradual, incremental, God at first, first and foremost, primarily, even using something of the equivalent of the plagues he visited on Egypt, sending hornets, for instance, to drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites, but also at a certain point, he's going to hand the task off to Israel to drive them out little by little. It's very interesting. Verse 32, you shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. And that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. Which is to say, God's vision, it might be patient, tolerant, kind, gracious, slow to anger. But it is not... Pluralism, the way that many moderns have fallen into. Actually, pluralism, the way that many moderns, many postmoderns, many post truth, post Christian, negative world types have embraced, pluralism is antithetical to what God prescribed. We should not assume that just because God is patient and slow to anger and merciful and gracious. And calls us to be imitators of him in those ways, in those characteristics. We should not presume that, therefore, God is pluralistic. He's not. He's very clearly not. But let's move on. I want to actually next talk with you about some strange state laws. I think this will be fun and amusing. This was sent to me by my eldest son, Josiah. day before yesterday, he emailed it to me after his friend Caleb Rogers Sent it to him and said, hey, you should send this to your dad. So thank you, Josiah. Thank you, Caleb Rogers. This is quite the list. Quite the delightful PDF I have open. Dumb Laws is the heading at the very top. And this is all broken down by state. Copyright is 2011. So for all I know, in the last dozen years, some of these have been removed from the books. But either way, at least as far back as 2011 or as recent as 2011, these were on the books. And some of these are just amazing. I mean, they're just amazing laws. If you think sometimes that Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers are filled with some odd laws, just wait. Just give me a minute here and we'll see how much more sensible, reasonable, reasonable Welcome. God's law in the Old Testament is starting from the top alphabetically, Alabama, Aniston, You may not wear blue jeans down Noble Street. I'm sure there's a story there. Uh, this one also bear wrestling matches are prohibited. I, I'm sure there's also a great story there. Maybe some Russians immigrated to Alabama once upon a time and they had to be told, Nyet! Dominoes may not be played on Sunday. Oh darn, that was my plan. It is illegal for a driver to be blindfolded while operating a vehicle. It is illegal to wear a fake mustache that causes laughter in church. It is legal to drive the wrong way down a one-way street if you have a lantern attached to the front of your automobile. Montgomery, it is considered an offense to open an umbrella on a street for fear of its spooking horses. You cannot chain your alligator to a fire hydrant. Yep, I saw you. I saw you, Tuesday. You, yep, we know what you did. Charges are coming. You may not drive barefooted. You may not have an ice cream cone in your back pocket at any time. Uh, Skipping down, Alaska. Even though it is legal to hunt a bear, it is illegal to wake a bear and take a picture for photo opportunities. In Alaska, it is illegal to whisper in someone's ear while they are moose hunting. It is considered an offense to push a live moose out of a moving airplane. I I surely these can't be real. Like surely these are not real. Somebody just made a list. I I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to spread a false report and give Alaska a bad rap but then again when you're out there in the middle the middle of the Yukon uh for a long time all by yourself maybe maybe you just get a little bit bored that's a possibility they push live mooses out of moving airplanes and um they had to be told to stop it don't don't do that kangaroos are not allowed in barber shops at any time so maybe some Aussies moved had a pet or two kangaroo Uh, moose may not be viewed from an airplane okay how about colorado since we live in colorado now car dealers may not show cars on a sunday and that okay that makes sense blue laws from back when we were more uh interested in being a christian nation cripple creek it is illegal to bring your horse or pack mule above the ground floor of any building Got to leave that guy outside. Denver, the dog catcher must notify dogs of impounding by posting for three consecutive days, a notice on a tree in the city park and along a public road running through said park. It is unlawful to lend your vacuum cleaner to your next door neighbor. It is illegal to mistreat rats. You may not drive a black car on Sundays. In Colorado, it's now legal to remove the furniture tags that say do not remove Under penalty of law, it is illegal to mistreat rats in Denver. If it wasn't clear before, we're going to repeat that one. I repeat, you may not mistreat rats in Denver. Somebody with some legislative authority really had an affinity for rats, didn't want them being experimented on or something. In Colorado, it's now legal to remove the furniture tags that say do not remove under penalty of law. This one's repeated as well. Pueblo, it is illegal to let a dandelion grow within the city limits. Sterling, cats may not run loose without having been fit with a tail light. I just can't believe it. I, I can't believe that's a real law. That, there's just no way. Maybe somebody didn't like cats, right? Maybe the guy from Denver moved to Sterling, and there they had cats eating rats and said, you got to keep your cats from mistreating the rats. How about Montana, my home state? We'll scroll on down. It is a felony for a wife to open her husband's mail. Uh, My wife is doubtless a felon then. Don't tell anybody. Balls may not be thrown within the city limits. Hmm. Well, Montana's pretty common sense there. Uh, North Dakota, right next door. Fargo. One may be jailed for wearing a hat while dancing or even for wearing a hat to a function where dancing is taking place. No hats. No hats, please, with the dancing. In North Dakota, it is illegal to keep an elk in a sandbox in your backyard. In Waverly, you better not let your horse near the tub, since horses are prohibited from sleeping in them, as well as in the house. It is illegal to lie down and fall asleep with your shoes on. How about Ohio? Ohio. According to Ohio law... According to this PDF, strange state laws, it's against the law to kill a housefly within 160 feet of a church without a license. I don't believe it. I can't believe it. Uh, Bay Village, it is illegal to walk a cow down Lake Road. Cleveland, it's illegal to catch mice without a hunting license. Clinton County, which would be where Wilmington was. I used to work there. I worked at that Walmart, their Super Walmart for a while. And I worked for r Carriers in Wilmington as well, both in Clinton County. Any person who leans against a public building will be subject to fines. So, yep, none of that. Chillicothe, Ohio, it is illegal to throw rice at weddings. Columbus, it is illegal for stores to sell cornflakes on Sunday. Okay, all right, that's enough. That's enough. Whether these are real laws that have ever been on the books. There's a part of me that increasingly would believe it because people can be really dumb and need that sense of power uh, that comes with being very particular. Also, all bets are off as to what our ancestors were capable of, because look at what we're doing. If there's no new thing under the sun, if there is no new thing under the sun, as Solomon asserts, then Extrapolate backwards situations like this one, Cardinal Pritchard over at NottheBe.com posted an article just today. Colorado School District hires genderqueer shapeshifter witch to train staff on transgenderism. He writes, guys, this is real. This is a real person, a gender-queer shapeshifting witch, who was hired by a school district in Colorado to train staff. And look. I don't even have to explain to you who this person is that the Thompson School District hired to train staff on transgender issues. The human themselves explains on They Them's website. Silent Charlie Wellington, They Them, is a sculptor of sound, artist of people, witch, genderqueer, shapeshifter, mercurial story collector, and lover, among other things, avidly interdisciplinary. They like to combine music with other art mediums, be that spoken word, visual art, ritual performance, loud and fiery, eye contact, otherworldly, and melting trysts, or something else entirely. Uh, This person is perhaps capable of writing the kinds of laws that we see in this dumb laws list. And actually, more to the point, more to the point, is it just possible that sometimes laws get written because the person who was put in a legislative capacity really just wanted to make a mockery of the legislative process. Like They just did not even care. They didn't care, and they wanted to communicate to everybody that they don't care. And this is their way of doing that, to make it absurd. Is that possible? I would say that this... uh, Gender queer shapeshifter, which seems to prove that, yes, that that is possible. This is clown world. This is ridiculous. This is absurd. And I think that is the point that we're being mocked. We're being mocked. And that's not a new thing. There is no new thing under the sun. There are people who just want to mock. They are scoffers. They should not be in charge of writing laws or teaching our kids and this is why we homeschool. In this latest installment of and this is why we homeschool, I give you the genderqueer shapeshifter witch being hired by the Thompson School District. And oh by the way, Thompson School District R2J is Loveland, Colorado. Loveland, Colorado is 20 minutes from where we live here in Greeley. 20 minutes away. So we're not talking the opposite side of the state or somewhere far away. I'm talking very, very close. And this is bananas. You should pull your kids out of the public schools, do what it takes to homeschool them, or send them to a private Christian school. Those of us who have means, by the way, really, really do need to get to work on facilitating home education and private schooling, private classical Christian education Opportunities for parents here in America that are not sure what else they can do. We need we need to get to work on that. Christians in particular, who have the wherewithal, need to be investing more in facilitating. If you care about this country, if you care about how the generation that might be deciding what your end-of-life care looks like is going to be thinking, what their worldview is going to be in 30, 40, 50 years. Whether they're just gonna euthanize the whole lot of us in the name of climate change and social justice, you might you might make some charitable donations to private education and home schooling. I'm just just saying. Just saying. In other news, Samantha Flom over at the Epoch Times published a piece here just four days ago. Reps Jordan Massey ask. ATF director to testify before House Judiciary Committee, Steve Dettelbach, is the ATF director in question here. And we won't spend a lot of time on this, but we have a major problem with the ATF here in the U.S. Their final rule, banning stabilizing pistol braces, is a major problem. And it puts at risk tens of millions of Americans for felony charges for owning something that was entirely legal. It was entirely legal up until the ATF just arbitrarily decided to change the rules. And now what they are telling American gun owners is you have 90 days, and this is some time ago at this point, but you have 90 days from when they announced their final rule on pistol braces, to register your firearm, apply for a tax stamp, surrender your firearm to your local ATF office, or destroy it. Those are your options according to the ATF. Did you know, and I just learned this myself from the Rocky Mountain Gun Owner legislative briefing that was held also in Loveland, not far from where I live, the Ford F-150 is the most popular model of truck sold in the United States of America. Very, very common. You drive down the road or the street or the highway, you will see F-150s all over the place. Every time you see an F-150, just think to yourself, for every one F-150 out there, there are between two and three AR-15s in circulation in the United States. That's how common AR-15s are. And that's what the Democrats are trying to ban as so-called assault weapons, as if they can. But more to the point, what they want ultimately is to disarm Americans who they don't believe are trustworthy to keep and bear arms. And that would be all Americans who disagree with them politically. Period. Full stop. Look back through history at what typically happens when there is a push for communism and also a push for Gun confiscation, banning of firearms ownership by private citizens. Look at what happens when those two things come together. It's a major problem. And there has to be an appetite for just saying no and let it go to court. Let it go to court. Take it all the way take it all the way to the Supreme Court. Kudos to Jim Jordan and Thomas Massey, Republicans from Ohio and Kentucky, respectively, congressmen. Kudos to them for chasing this down, please, please, please contact your elected representatives and ask them to also apply pressure here, because this could get very, very ugly. Given what else the Democrats have been up to, this could get very ugly in a hurry if they're not told no with a verbal warning, you are violating your constitutional duties. If you took an oath to uphold the Constitution do bear in mind the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Do keep it in mind. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, consider the business in Ukraine. You know, I was recently talking with my brother about this whole pistol brace final rule from the ATF. And because we go back and forth a bit, about politics every now and then. I try to avoid the topic, but it comes up anyways because everything's political, don't you know? I said, "Well, you know, maybe <clears throat> maybe I don't apply. Maybe I don't recognize this final ruling from the ATF as lawful, as legitimate. And maybe tens of millions of other Americans also don't recognize this as legitimate. Not to say that the ATF won't try to enforce it, but They would be very, very foolish and very reckless if they did, and they might do it anyways, because they're getting pressure from up top. They're getting pressure from the very top. Joe Biden has said, we're going to go back to the 90s and the assault weapons so-called ban. I said, but let's just suppose, let's suppose I took my AR-15 and I shipped it to the Ukraine. Do you think the ATF would require a Ukrainian defending their country from Russia to through all this rigmarole, all this red tape, all this sludge that is supposed to disincentivize us from wanting to own firearms, keep and bear arms. Do you think that the ATF or any part of the US government is going to require Ukrainians to fill out all this paperwork and do a background check and register their firearm and serialize it? Do you think any of that applies to the Ukrainians? Well, no, but that's different, I heard. That's what I was told. No, oh, That's different. They're trying to defend their country from an invasion. I say, okay, granted, maybe we don't get invaded here in the United States, in part because so many Americans are armed. That was the idea of the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The First Amendment, humanly speaking, is contingent on the Second Amendment. You know, I took my family last summer, I think it was, to the burial place of Buffalo Bill. It overlooks Golden, Colorado. Lookout Mountain is just a beautiful, tranquil, amazing place to visit. Totally accessible. Golden has a great pizza place, Woody's Pizza. If you're there around lunchtime or dinner time, go up to Lookout Mountain, come down off the mountain, go into Golden. Golden's neat. That's where the Colorado School of Mines is. But Buffalo Bill's gravesite has a museum that you do have to pay a little bit to get into, but it's worth it. It's well worth it. All kinds of memorabilia from the Wild West show that went all over the world, went all over the United States, went all over the world, showcasing the prowess of Plains Indians and cowboys. Do you know that Buffalo Bill, when he was a lad, before he got famous. Everybody knew his name. Do you know that he set out to go and get a job and provide for his family because his father was stabbed to death? True story. His father was stabbed to death. And do you know why his father was stabbed to death? Because his father was arguing in favor of abolishing slavery in the U.S. And somebody in the crowd, when his father was speaking, didn't take kindly to this abolitionist talk and decided to silence him. And so there is Buffalo Bill's father, deceased, murdered in public by somebody who didn't take kindly to his exercising his First Amendment rights. And now the family is without a provider, without a protector. And Buffalo Bill, what does he do? He mans up, he gets it done, rolls up his sleeves, gets to work, the rest is history. but. My point is the first amendment in our day as well is backed up by the second amendment if we allow our second amendment rights to be taken away we are already seeing infringements on our first amendment rights there is a will all that is necessary for mass atrocities is means motive opportunity we see some of those are already in place for the radical left in the US a couple of those are already in place The opportunity will be perceived as ideal and greater for the radical left if they're able to disarm American people, especially conservatives. If they can disarm us, they can also silence us even harder than they have already been trying to in recent years. And they will. It's in their nature, it's in their character, it's in their track record, it's in their literature. They already do it here and there where they think they have an opportunity to. Now, scale that up coast to coast. We can't let that happen. We can't let that happen. But if we don't want that to happen, there has to be a willingness to pay attention, to contact elected representatives, to speak out, to say no. Moving on. AccuWeather is where I like to stay abreast of what the forecast is is looking like I've got the AccuWeather app on my smartphone and I keep a tab in my favorites, speed dial on my web browser. AccuWeather had a news story, a top story that caught my attention this week. It's over. NOAA declares official end to La Nina. The triple dip La Nina that began in 2020 has come to an end and AccuWeather forecasters say that it could be replaced by its warmer counterpart, El Niño. Bill Dager, AccuWeather senior meteorologist, published this one just a couple of days ago, March 9th. He writes, NOAA's Climate Prediction Center, CPC, on Thursday declared an end to the long-standing La Nina that began nearly three years ago, signaling that ocean temperatures in the equatorial Pacific were warming up. The La Nina pattern, the colder counterpart of El Nino in the El Nino Southern Oscillation and so climate phenomenon has influenced the weather across the Northern Hemisphere in a number of ways in recent years. The unusually long lasting nature of the phenomenon led to the unofficial nickname of a triple dip La Nina as it persisted through three winter seasons. Conditions were first observed in the Central Pacific in the three-month stretch from July through September 2020, and they continued nearly uninterrupted for 30 months. This is just shy of the La Nina from 1998 to 2001, which lasted 32 months, according to AccuWeather Senior Meteorologist Dan Pidenowski. La Nina, occurs when the water temperatures in the eastern equatorial Pacific Ocean are at least 0.9 of a degree Fahrenheit, 0.5 of a degree Celsius, below average over three months. Conversely, El Nino happens when the running average is 0.9 of a degree Fahrenheit, 0.5 of a degree Celsius, or higher. Neutral conditions exist for any departure between those two temperature ranges. While it may seem like such a small change in water temperature in one part of the world would only have a minimal impact elsewhere, it can significantly alter global wind patterns which drive the development and movement of storm systems and moisture across the globe. During La Niña, the southern United States tends to experience warmer and drier conditions than usual, while the northern U.S. can be wetter and colder. It can also lead to an above-average number of tropical storms and hurricanes in the Atlantic Basin as it makes conditions more favorable for storm development. In 2020, a record-setting hurricane season unfolded in the Atlantic with forecasters using more names to identify storms than ever before. Another above normal season followed in 2021. However, the 2022 season produced 14 storms, which is around average. That's around average. CPC- is forecasting neutral conditions, neither La Nina nor El Nino, to continue through the spring months and into the early summer. Since neutral conditions are expected for a few months, the effects that the ocean temperatures in the central Pacific have on the weather patterns globally will be diminished. Later this summer or in the fall, El Nino conditions are forecast to emerge, according to AccuWeather's team of long-range forecasters. This, too, will have vast implications for weather patterns across The northern hemisphere for the second half of 2023 and beyond. An El Nino tends to lead to wetter conditions than usual across the southern U.S. and warmer, drier conditions in the northern U.S. Stronger El Ninos can amplify those effects, leading to destructive flooding in some areas and severe drought in others. Strong El Ninos have recently been observed from 97 to early 98 and from 2015 into early 2016. And there's a little bit left to this article, but let me just point out a couple of things, just briefly. One, the Earth's climate is complicated. There's a lot that goes into it, including but not limited to solar activity. There's a lot that goes into it. And what I don't see here is forecasters asserting with absolute confidence, even in the next couple of short years, what the weather patterns are going to be. I don't see that, which is interesting when you consider this in relation to climate change, doom and gloom, catastrophism, the sky is falling, chicken little hysterics. It's important for us to note that the folks who are so confidently predicting the end of the world due to the burning of fossil fuels have been consistently time and again wrong. They've been consistently time and again wrong. And yet, what do they do? They just move the goalposts, all the while continuing to push for command control over national economies, international, the global economy, which is to say, all of us. Because the economy is not something that just exists in and of itself. The economy is just all of our individual contributions in relation to one another at whatever scale we're talking about the economy In. But another thing I want to point out here is the gendered language. Has anybody asked these patterns, these climate phenomena, what their gender is, what their preferred pronouns might be? Now, you do realize La Niña and El Niño are Spanish, there's a masculine and there's a feminine. La Niña is feminine. El niño is masculine. I also find it amusing, not necessarily profound, but amusing that el niño is the warmer of the two and la niña is the colder of the two. Why might that be? Was it a flip of the coin? Was it randomly decided? I don't think so. I think that there was a recognition in a very common sense, matter of fact, face value way, that girls are typically cooler, guys are typically more aggressive. There are exceptions, but these are general rules, and the exceptions have to have a general rule in relation to which we would say they are the exceptions rather than the rule. The rule is that men, boys, males are typically more aggressive, thanks to testosterone. Girls are typically more docile, more submissive. And that's okay generally, because that's how God made us with a purpose so that there would be order. It's good that there is male and female created in God's image. And we have to appreciate that God had a good purpose in that and that he, in the beginning, said it was very good. The earth was good. Everything he put into the earth, separating the Waters from the dry land, that was good. Sun, the moon, and the stars, that was good. The light and the darkness, that was good. The birds, the fish, the creeping things, the animals, the mammals, the beasts of the field, the beasts of the air, good. Trees, bushes, various plants, good. Then he makes man in his image. Let us make man in our image, he says. After our likeness. And then after that, after placing man made in his image in Eden, in the garden, God says what he had made was very good. And so the climate change hysterics have it opposite. Insofar as they see it as a problem that man is in creation, being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth and subduing it. The climate change hysterics would have you believe that that's a problem, that that's bad, that's not very good, that's very bad. God said it's very good. In fact, he commanded it. It's the first and perhaps most impactful command, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. It's a positive mission that we're called to. You know, I wasn't planning on announcing this in this episode, but now is as good a time as any to announce it here to any of you who don't know that my wife and I are expecting again. We have eight children who have been born healthy, inquisitive, enthusiastic, energetic, diverse in their interests, in their temperaments, seven sons, one daughter. We just found out last Friday, not yesterday, but a week ago yesterday, that we're expecting again. And it is sooner than we had anticipated. And it does make us a little bit nervous, but we have our convictions and we believe that our convictions are predicated on the truth and authority of God's word and that we can't, but commit ourselves to trusting God's good purposes and his good pleasure. We want to be good stewards. Absolutely. But my wife turns 36 in May. I turned 37 in November We are still young and you say, well, your wife has some health problems. And I say, yes, she has had some health problems and those predated us getting married. And there again, we trust the good Lord. And I don't believe that's irresponsible. The goal in our minds has never been not from when we very first got married and started talking about how many kids we wanted to have, when, how we wanted to raise them what kind of education we wanted to give them. The goal has never been, let's have as many children as humanly possible. But the goal has been, we want to be faithful. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We want to be good stewards. We want to be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We want to be expectant of the Lord's favor and his blessings if we are being faithful and good stewards and diligent and content with whatever it is that he entrusts to us. We should be horrified at abortion and the bad attitude towards having children, towards getting married, having children, raising a family, being in church, believing the Bible. We should be horrified by that in our day. And yet it's one thing to criticize it. It's one thing to disagree with it. It's one thing to argue against it. If that's all you do and you are tacitly conceding, Your manner of life, your mode of life, to it, to the zeitgeist, to the spirit of this age, to those sensibilities in the way that you plan your own family. What is that but hypocrisy? And so, our goal from the beginning was to be content. If the Lord does not bless us with children, then we will be content. And if the Lord does bless us with children, then we want to be good stewards and content. And yes, we are excited. Yes, we are also very sober about it. I, for one, anticipate taking the brunt of any criticism, for instance. And so be it. Because I am not, first and foremost, seeking your approval. I'm first and foremost seeking God's approval. And if you encourage me in that, great. I'm as glad for your sake as I am relieved for my own sake or for my family's sake. But... I look at my generation and I look at the demographic problems. And just take this news item here, for instance. Daniel Plainview, probably not his real name. Seems like everybody at not the be writes under a pseudonym, except Joel Abbott. I think Joel Abbott's legit. Looks like a real dude. Also might be a pseudonym. Don't know. Daniel Plainview published just this morning. It looks like the world is very close to reaching peak population. He's got a graph here. You can check it out. I'll put a link in the description for this podcast episode. United Nations population to 2100, their projections. They show high fertility scenario, low fertility scenario, and the median projection. World population, billions. A low fertility scenario sees us very, very close. And I'm talking... Uh, The next 27 years. Dipping and going downwards. There's a quote. Population freefall. A tweet from Elon Musk. Embedded. And I quote. Twice as many people died in Japan last year as were born. Population freefall. Rest of the world is trending to follow. Amp.cnn.com Japan births fall to record low as population crisis deepens. Now bear in mind. This is CNN saying this is a population crisis. A quote The number of births registered in Japan plummeted to another record low last year, the latest worrying statistic in a decades long decline that the country's authorities have failed to reverse despite their extensive efforts. The country saw 799,728 births in 2022, the lowest number on record, and the first ever dip below. 800,000, according to statistics released by the Ministry of Health on Tuesday. That number has nearly halved in the past 40 years. By contrast, Japan recorded more than 1.5 million births in 1982. Japan also reported a record high for post-war deaths last year at more than 1.58 million. So just to recap briefly, number of births, 799,728. Number of deaths. 1.58 million. That's astounding. The replacement rate, by the way, is two. If you're keeping score at home, a man and his wife having two children have replaced themselves. That makes sense, right? They pass on. And if there is a boy and a girl in the next generation, that's just maintaining. I'll note that some of the symptoms, we don't know for sure. I mean, it could be that it's just because we're not getting any younger. Some of the symptoms my wife is experiencing may indicate twins. It's very early. We're, we won't know until this next week, even possibly. We might know this next week with an ultrasound. But if it's twins, then we will have, Lord willing, we pray. We hope and pray. You can pray with us. We'll have 10 children, which will be more than my grandparents on the mullet side had, actually more than anybody that we know personally. And whether it's one or it's two, I just want my wife to be healthy and happy and holy. I want however many children the Lord blesses us with to love the Lord, to follow after him, to be happy, to be healthy, to be holy. But I look at this and I say, you know what? I can talk all I want. I can talk all I want on my podcast about, here's what the Bible says Here's what I read in history. Here's what's going on in the news cycle. I can talk all I want about that stuff. Do you know what? The single biggest impact I expect my life to have is it's being a husband and being a father. If I teach my children to love the Lord, to meditate on his word, to trust in him, if I give them, yes, good understanding of Reading, writing, arithmetic, history, science, literature, art, music, economics, philosophy. I mean, great, 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 great. But if I can set a good example for them, I hope and I pray, I know it's not going to be perfect, but I hope and I pray that it's a faithful one to follow after the Lord. The stark reality is my peers are going to reach the end of the line If they haven't had any children, the next generation is going to be disproportionately influenced by those who are having children, those who are training up their children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. And that's why it's so critically important that before I focus on skills that are marketable, that'll help them to get a good job before I teach them how to write in cursive or do algebra or build a computer or how to hunt or fish or camp or arm wrestle or whatever, first and foremost, I want to teach them to have good character and to love God's word and to follow after God and to seek God's face and his blessings and his rewards for those who love him. I can't tell you to have more children, but I can strongly encourage you to be content If the Lord brings men, a woman into your life who would make a good wife, I can encourage you. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. That's biblical. Don't take my word for it. That's what God said. Like the arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I can tell you that. And it's not me. I'm not the one who wrote that. That's in God's word. I'm just the messenger. I can take those two plus everything to do with how I treat my wife in light of God's word, how I treat my children in light of God's word. And I can say, here you go. I would encourage you to meditate on these things and to live them out. If all it is is just talk and I don't actually live that out, it's just a matter of time before you're going to get wise and you're going to say, "Eh, why don't you do that? So, one, even if I am doing this, you might say, oh, whatever. It's one way to live your life. No thanks. I don't need that kind of trouble. That sounds exhausting. And I've heard these. I mean, these. These are literally the kinds of responses I've gotten again and again. Wow, man, I can't even imagine. That sounds exhausting. When Lauren and I first told people that we were going to get married, we were both 19. And we got so much flack, so much flack. Oh, you guys are so young. You should go to college. You should date around. You should get your degree. You should get started in your career. If we had, then our story might be what most of our peers' stories have been. Waiting to get married until 25 to 30. We had college debt, but not nearly so much as we would have if we had finished four years at Cedarville. And while we were on that track, we would have waited probably for a couple of years to have children. I don't know which of our children we would not have, but I hate the thought that any of these children would not be in the world. I tell our children constantly that I firmly believe you are not just a number. You are not just a stat. You specifically, individually are here at this time, in this family, in this place, At this point in history, with your particular temperament and interests and abilities and personality, for a good purpose that God can make known to you. And that's what we should pray for, is that God would make known his purpose for your life and what he has for you to do with your life. And I know that that is true of every one of our children who is here and Lord willing, come November 6th or sooner, particularly if it's twins, it'll be sooner. That will be true of whatever other children are born to us. It's one thing to talk about the world's population very quickly approaching peak. It's one thing to say this is a crisis, which even CNN, even CNN is saying, yeah, this is a crisis taking shape. What's going on with Japan is... Also going on with China, by the way, they're in a pickle. Europe is in a pickle. The United States is a little bit behind and my wife and I, we're doing our part, but it's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to say, hey, look at these stats. It's quite another thing to say, I'm going to trust the good Lord with this area of our lives and be expectant that he will provide, he will protect, he will equip me to be able to provide and to protect. Let it be done to me according to what you say. That should be our attitude. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So I come back to this whole Exodus 23 business. And I think that if we embrace this verse one through nine mentality, it will make a huge difference on what kinds of conclusions we are allowing ourselves to come to. Don't put so much stock in what the majority of people think and are doing. Just don't. Majority opinion sometimes turns out to be totally wrong. The goal is not man's approval if you would be a servant of Christ. And I know it's risky, dangerous, there's a stress factor. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, James says. Consider it pure joy. Embrace it. And I was talking with a John McNerney after youth group on Wednesday night. The McNerney's go to church with us. If you've ever watched the reality show Forged in Fire, he's been on that. You might recognize him. But we're talking back and forth about public speaking because I had given a presentation on a healthy practice of fasting to our youth group. And he was telling me about various venues where he has done public speaking. He worked with the sheriff's department. He also has been part of an international farriers uh, association. I think it is horseshoeing, basically doing an education piece all around the world. Also metalworking, having a forge doing an education piece on that. And he says, you know, everybody's terrible at public speaking at first, but you just have to accept that, right? You're going to suck at it. And I followed that up with, yeah, and you have to embrace the suck, embrace the fact that you are going to be finding your failure points left and right, and just count that the cost of tuition. That's where we should be remembering that God gives more grace. Not where we sin that grace might abound all the more. Not where we sin by omission or commission. We do nothing. Instead of letting your field lie fallow one year in seven, we let it lie fallow six years in seven or seven years out of seven. And then we say, oh, grace, grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. No, 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 no. (laughs) That's not correct. Note here too, though, if you meet your enemy's ox, verse 4, Exodus 23, or his donkey going astray, I love how all these examples are with oxen and donkeys and various livestock, because that's what they knew. You could substitute many, many things in our day. If we don't have so many ox and donkey in the US, just fill in the blank with the equivalent. Why did they have oxen? Why did they have donkeys? Okay, what do we have instead these days? If your enemy is in trouble, his property is in trouble. Let's say you see him broken down on the side of the road. He's got a flat tire. He's having some engine trouble. Stop and help him change his tire. Stop and give him a ride to the nearest gas station. Stop and help him. God said to. And here's where I would tie this in with the demographic crisis. It may be that we are in the end times. I don't know that. And the people who keep confidently saying, I think we are, they don't know it either. It may be. And if it is, even so, come Lord Jesus, come sort us out, please. I won't complain. Just let me be found faithful. And that's the point. That is the point. If the Lord is just about to return, that should not be our cue to let the fields lie fallow, or to pass on on the other side if our enemy is broken down on the side of the road, that should be our cue to take seriously all that was commanded. That's what building your house on the rock requires and looks like and entails. So you say, well, if we're in the end times, I don't exactly want to be bringing children into the world for them to have to deal with all this. And I say, oh, no, no, no. But we need to bring children into the world to deal with all of this. How would it be if Israel in Egypt had stopped having children because they were in bondage? They were in slavery for 430 years. Was that God's will? All right, guys, this is the end. Times are tough. Probably shouldn't have children right now. That's not how they responded. Or how would it be if when they came into Canaan, they said, all right, well, we've got some fighting to do, we've got territory to claim, God has told us to claim this territory from the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, probably we should wait to have kids. No, in fact, actually, it's just the opposite. What God says is just the opposite. I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. And... And I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. That is to say, how they're going to increase is they're going to have children. When they're taken away into captivity in Babylon and Jeremiah the prophet counters the false assurances, the peace, peace, when there is no peace from false prophets who claim to be speaking the word of the Lord, but they are false prophets. They're saying, oh, you're going to be back in the promised land in no time. This'll turn around. You just watch. Jeremiah says, no, God didn't say that. They're lying. Here's what God says. Build houses in captivity, in exile, build houses, plant vineyards, plant gardens, take wives Have children. Raise your children in such a way that they will also be given in marriage and have children after them. Increase in the land, Jeremiah chapter 29, increase in the land and do not decrease. And seek the welfare of the city to which Yahweh your God has brought you in your exile, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. It is not carnal, fleshly, unspiritual, unbiblical, ungodly, unchristian for the Christian to look at the current situation in the United States of America and say, well, <clears throat> I think we should have some more kids and show up at the next city council meeting or write our congressman. It is not ungodly. In fact, it's entirely in keeping with the whole council of God that we would say, hmm, looks like our country is headed for a demographic crisis. I think maybe we should have some more kids and make sure that they get a good education. And Make sure that we haven't so burnt them out on the idea of getting married and having kids, by our example, that they run as far away from that when they get older as they possibly can. We should raise sons and daughters in such a way that they will look forward to getting married and having families of their own someday. Increase in the land and do not decrease. And if Jesus comes back, if the good Lord Jesus Christ comes back next week and that's it, Great, let us be found busy and actively pursuing what honors God obediently faithfully by God's grace because it's not going to be perfect and it's not going to be a hundred percent I just don't want to be the one who buried his talents in a field. the whole parable of the talents does bear mentioning here in all of these topics the master gives, a certain number of talents to three servants. The one who buried the talents in a field rather than investing them in a profitable way is the one who hears, you wicked servant. You wicked servant. That's not what you want to hear. If that's your pursuit of happiness, then you're doing it right to say, I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant at the end. That's the the thing I want most. That is the thing you should want most. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. And when they are added unto you, you thank God for them and you enjoy them. By God's grace, be content with much or with little. Don't assume that God blessing you is somehow an erosion of your godliness and your character. No. Also, don't assume that if you are poor, you are therefore Virtuous? No. That's out of step with Exodus 23 here. Don't be partial to a poor man and don't try to be a poor man so that other people will be partial to you. Au contraire, mes amis. But I look at the demographic problem and I look at the climate change controversy and I look at genderqueer shapeshifter witches. I look at the ATF director being called to answer some questions for Congress, I look at strange state laws that are still in the books, perhaps, possibly, maybe, and I say, I may not be able to do it all, but I see, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Is the earth filled up? No. Is it probably about to get a little less full? Uh, Yeah. Looks like that's in process. Looks like it's trending that way. Let's see what we can do about that. That attitude should be our attitude. Generally speaking, in light of what God's word says, not that I'm so great and fantastic and wonderful, and you should all just aspire to be more like Garrett. But insofar as I am trying to set a good example, if you can benefit from following my example, if it will direct you back to God's word and his intentions, his plans, his purposes, his goodness, his grace, his justice, yes, also, Well, then I will tell you that we are expecting again. And I am okay with all possible combinations here. So long as mama and babies are in good shape. I trust that the good Lord is able to protect and provide better than I am. I also trust that he's able to equip me to be able to provide and protect. Even when I struggle to trust that, I know that I have to aspire to that because that is How to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That is to say, with faith, it is possible to please God. And we should want God's pleasure if we love him. And we should be expectant of a reward. We should be motivated by a reward. If it's a son, then I will have eight sons. If it's twin boys, I will have nine sons to carry on the mullet name into the next generation. If it's a son and a daughter, I'll have two daughters and eight sons. If it's two daughters, I'll have three daughters and seven sons. If it's one daughter, I'll have two daughters. All of these sound super. And I think here of Philippians. Whatsoever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent. If there's any excellence anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's what I'm going to choose to do. I would encourage you to calibrate yourselves also accordingly. Philippians 4.8, if you need to go print that off and hang it somewhere prominent so you can look at it and be reminded of it when you're struggling, when you need encouragement. Verse 7 is also good to include in there. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't have it all figured out. You don't have it all figured out. You don't know everything. I don't know everything. I don't understand everything. I I don't understand everything. You don't understand everything. When I look at the, the landscape, it seems like consistently again and again, the folks who are having the most trouble and the folks who are causing the most trouble are the ones who believe that least and have the most frustration with it. Maybe just embrace that you don't know everything, you don't have everything figured out. You don't understand everything, but you worship a God who does have it all figured out. Wisdom would see us going to him, asking for wisdom. He gives generously to all without finding fault. Believe that he will. That's all the time I've got for this episode. I got to run. I'm going to go play some Hunter Call of the Wild. It is a Saturday. We're still... Renegotiating, rearranging, recalibrating our attitudes and our ways of doing things. Mama not feeling so great, feeling a bit nauseous and tired, as is normal. That's part of it. It's not a bug, it's a feature. But my boys here lately, they've been trying to get me into playing more Call of the Wild, Hunter Call of the Wild, The Hunter Call of the Wild. Great game. It's been out for several years now. I hadn't really played it, but they've gotten me into it. I'm looking for games that I can play with them that are educational, that we can use to learn some good skills in a cost-effective way. If this is one that they enjoy and it's an opportunity for us to bond, super. Great. I just harvested my first grizzly bears this morning before everybody woke up. Listening to, by the way, this is kind of funny, listening to to The Call of the Wild, you know, the book by Jack London. I've never read it before, never had the pleasure, but it is set in the Yukon. And where was I hunting this morning? In the Yukon. It was super fun listening to that on audiobook while trudging around in the forests and in the mountains, hunting moose and grizzly bears. Oh, it was great. My son, Daniel wakes up. He's the most enthusiastic about this game and about hunting in general. He will probably be the hunter that I once upon a time aspired to become. (laughs) He will actually be with any encouragement and opportunity himself. But he came up and I was showing him the grizzly bear that I harvested, my trophy lodge where I've got everything set, rearranged it a bit. I went over to his trophy lodge, checked out what he's got, and he's got some super cool, super, super cool specimens that he's harvested from all over the world in this game. You can go to Africa and South America, go to Europe, all over the U.S., up into Alaska. It's great. It's great. So I'm going to go play that game with him, and Evelyn also is getting into it. She's going to play it on the Xbox. We're going to take it easy spend some time together as a family today. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.